I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Amanda Lett. And we love to watch. We love to watch Flaming Space Carrots. I'm gonna send him to outer space. Hey, Peter. Hey, guys. Welcome hey to guys. our podcast. <laughs> That's our new theme That's song. The most energy we've ever had out of the bat before. Really? Oh, see, it's yeah. all downhill downhill from here then. Yeah. Normally, we, we have to really get Peter going by talking about things he loves, like gore <laughs> and other just gore. Just My gore. other joke I was going to say could be taken wrong, so I'm just going to leave that out. Um, just... <laughs> Uh, every every movie we've done so far could be made a hundred percent more offensive by a Flash Gordon style theme song. Are you hating on Queen? <laughs> like a Mother's Day theme song? <laughs> Mother's Day theme song. No, I just want to make sure you're not hating on the Queen Flash Gordon song. Oh no, it's glorious. Oh, it's glorious. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it, it ended like four of our episodes if you listen past silence because it was a joke that just kept giving to no one. Uh, so we stopped, <laughs> but I, I kept putting it at the end of all of our episodes for a while. Oh, it, because it's brilliant. It's great. I bought the whole soundtrack after watching that movie. Yeah. No, it's I listened worth it. to track one and the last track. And that's it. It's just different versions of the theme song. Well, you don't, uh, after you have Queen, you don't really need anything else. No, I like it when they sing. And, and the rest of the soundtrack, they don't sing all that much at all. Yeah, it's a shame. It's, it, it's, a shame. It's, more, it's more chill. I didn't even notice until – I didn't really notice it was Queen until later in the movie. And they started cutting in with some, some vocal tracks. And I was like, oh, you can't confuse Freddie Mercury for anybody else. You can confuse their drummer for somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <but>. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, just, just the lead singer for The Darkness. <laughs> no, he That's is a true. wannabe. He is a poor yeah. man's Freddie Mercury, and I, I won't have, <laughs> I won't have any aspersions cast onto Freddie Mercury like that. I mean, who's still around? So, who, who ultimately won? This, this is our first, <laughs> let's let's edit that out. <laughs> our first guest exodus. Yeah. <laughs> All we hear is just the clomp, 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 and a door slam, like a like old timey radio. <laughs> um, I am done. Um, I'm protesting this room that I heard that in. <laughs> <laughs> We're selling the. Can we sell a room in the house? Honey, <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. You should have heard what they said about Freddie Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amanda, we're, we're so happy to have you on. And since I have a feeling there's going to be so much banter in this episode based on our uh, Facebook conversations. Yes. Let's let's really let's start out. Let our audience get to know you. Amanda, tell us three things about yourself you think our audience should know. Um, so three things about myself. I am one of the mods of the Dissolve Facebook group. Um, please send your complaints to Zach Gruden. I am. He's yeah. in our show notes every week. Yeah. Yeah. Send, send your complaints to Zach. I, I'm busy. I have a life. Zach, Zach needs the attention. Um, I have, uh, I'm working on my PhD in art history. So I am currently teaching art history to our youth. And I like to argue about historical figures. Like whether they existed? Uh, no, more towards uh, the accuracy of historical facts in film. 
Oh, okay. um, I just saw a trailer for this uh uh, miniseries about building Versailles and in the 30 second ad I picked out four things that were wrong with it I am so much fun at parties you guys yeah is life hell for you oh my god <laughs> you don't even want to know <laughs> you're like some weird Merlin where you're like I just have I just have too much knowledge on too many subjects I wouldn't say Merlin she's probably going to correct you that that wasn't his real name and... <laughs> well if you want to go back to the Welsh pronunciation no I'm I don't. <laughs> no, no, no one does. No one does. It's fine. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, there's a lot of yelling at the TV in my house. <laughs> when it's on, when it's off, is that just your yell space? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah I just point to myself towards the television and just scream. Some people, some people scream into a pillow. Yeah, no, I just, <laughs> I just scream at the magical box in my, in my living room. Well, do you have the t- the TV vagina thing from uh, Videodrome? Because that's a great reason to scream at your TV. Peter's Peter's great at parties too. Asking about if TV has a vagina. That's uh, <laughs> do you do you ask that of people often? What do you do for a living? <laughs> yeah, is that your icebreaker? <laughs> <laughs> it's always no, but it gets the conversation going. You know. Does it? <laughs> they're like, they're like, who says yes? Yeah, the conversation that goes is him explaining the plot of Videodrome to unsuspecting people. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and and sort of polite backing away. I'm envisioning a lot of uh, just couple steps backwards after that question gets asked. A, sa- a safe distance. <laughs> a lot of I don't think that was a real movie. <laughs> I think that guy's just <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> that can't be a Nobody thing. Would- can't be a thing. And he said Roger Ebert liked it. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> oh. Are we uh, just going to pick fun at the dead tonight? Is it just all, you died, that's so bad for you, we're going to make fun of you? Is that what we do here? I'd like to point out that Aaron is the bad person. I'm just the bad boy. I think you're just splitting hairs at this point. <laughs> I think that's going to be a longer silence in the final edit. <laughs> this is going to be three hours. And it's gonna be yeah, there's, just, there's just no response. That's the end of the episode. You play the Flash Gordon theme and we're good. We're out. So speaking of that, uh, before we get into a game that Peter's designed specifically for Amanda. I'm not, wanted, I'm not on board. To- I don't know. Okay, Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take this moment, and we kind of forgot last week. Last week was our 25th episode, but instead of celebrating that anniversary, uh, this is our 26th episode, which, for those of you that have a calendar and a calculator ready, uh, there's 52 weeks in a year. Divide that by two, that's 26. This is our sixth month anniversary episode, and Peter, we talked about this a little. We, We thought, you know, should we get each other cake? Uh, and then we just ate our own cakes. You didn't get me cake. You, uh, you. This is your first episode. You, you've not I been on here for six cake. months. Okay. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> pay your dues. Yeah, pay. Do do this for twenty six weeks with Peter, and then you get all the cake <laughs> that you want. Um, so I actually Peter- shoved cake into the microphone. So I mean, <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> the sounds yeah. of a man talking through cake. So anyway, so Peter. Let's let's take this moment and instead of just saying nice things about ourselves, let's say nice things about the other person. So let's talk about I'm going to say my three favorite Peter moments from our podcast. And Peter, you can say your three favorite Aaron moments from our podcast for the first six months. Would you like to start, Peter? Sure. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, still my favorite thing that's ever happened on the show. Well, you got to do number. You gotta, it's, you got to go oh, three to one. So right. oh, you can't start so, with your favorite. <laughs> so my. Th- <laughs> Have you seen a countdown in anything before? So I guess my third favorite thing that's ever happened <laughs> on the show is when Aaron and I first started playing games on the show uh, on the Repulsion episode. He played a game with me called Does the Dog Die? And uh, I really appreciated that Aaron rolled with the punches on that one. And not only that, uh, tried to pitch me another game, which involves one of his friends that's seen like no movies. A guy named Jeremy, I think his name was. Yeah. And uh, that he's only seen Iron Will. Yep. Jeremy's been long forgotten by this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my number three. This is my number three favorite Peter moment on our first six months. And that is uh, the many times that Peter's forgotten that we've had the exact same conversation about Air Bud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can never have too many conversations about Air Bud. You're right. You can never have too many. But we've only had the one <laughs> um, <just laughs> many, many times. It's now kind of a bit, but there was three episodes. I think I got deleted out of one where we had the same conversation and Peter didn't realize it each time that he was obsessed with uh, the fact that Air Bud was not a good starting sport for the uh, first offering in that series. Yeah. Uh, it's, so... like, it's like you're saying Air Bud has certain flaws. <laughs> I think secretly I just want this to be an Airbud cast. <laughs> uh, not so secretly. Okay. Peter, you're number you're oh. number two. <laughs> Sorry. When I got to see Aaron in uh, righteous ig- indignation mode on the uh, Mother's Day episode, uh, a side of Aaron that, that I'd never seen before. Yeah, uh, I was su- I was surprised at myself how angry I sounded. I mean, it was it was sincere. I w- the more we talked about the movie, the angry I like I was angry when I when we watched it. But yeah, even listening back on that one, I was like, hmm, this is like the closest I get to yelling. <laughs> <laughs> just just like, and this just doesn't work. Um, so my number two is a uh, is a scene or a, a segment on this podcast that wasn't intentional and never made it to air. It's the time that uh, Peter's dog ate uh, ant poison. Not not the part that I like. Uh, so there was a forty minute accidental deleted segment that was Peter giving me five minute updates on the status of, of uh, both his dog and our show for the evening. <laughs> Good, good. Uh, his dog was his dog was okay, but like I don't, I don't mean the sarcastic. It was it was so funny because I think I edited that episode and obviously I removed all that. But every time I saw bars on the screen, I'm like, okay, maybe this is where we start talking again. And it was, hey, uh, we're just we're looking up some stuff for the dog. Um, I'll be we'll check in just a second. Let me. It was it was kind of like that very soft, like calm, concerned dad tone, but still, but not, but it's not like a, he he wasn't gone for forty minutes and then. He was he was giving me real time updates. Oh, that's very considerate. It was also because uh, it was also because I was going to my laptop to look up different things about it, and I was like, "Can the dog take this ant poison without dying? Like, is the dog going to be okay, or am I actually in trouble?" And you know, you know those moments where you're like, "Do I need to go to a vet? do I need to drop everything and go to a hospital right now?" <laughs> I guess a vet in this situation, but uh, I was trying to figure out if it was one of those situations because there's no one, no one taps you on the shoulder in those situations. Like, 
you need to go. <laughs> you have to, you're an adult. You have to decide that shit for yourself. And uh, yeah, Aaron was very helpful. He was looking up. He was googling stuff on the sidelines as well. So it was nice to have a, a third set of third set of eyes on the problem, especially someone that was you know hundreds of miles away. And um, well, and I do have three dogs. Four at the time. Yep. 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 So you had a little bit of little bit of knowledge on it. But yeah, the dog ate uh, two ant traps. Or ate, it, ate an ant tramp with the two both pouches inside, and then we had to give uh, we had to give him three t- three five tablespoons of salt or teaspoons of salt, and the first one or two he loved. <laughs> number number three he was very upset about. He gave it up, um, and uh, yeah, my dog is alive. That episode is still good, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate Aaron helping. Peter, you're number one about me. My number one, Aaron could probably guess, and that was when Aaron couldn't pronounce the last name of our guest, nor many other words. <laughs> and I couldn't pronounce uh, Michael Garnieri's last name. Sure, I can see that. And then uh, leading up to that, whenever we were promoting uh, upcoming episodes, uh, Aaron would ask me to do the, to do the plug. <laughs> for Michael Garnier. Nope. Uh, that made me so happy. Even on episodes where we had guests. I got it two episodes after he appeared. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That's how long it took and, my brain for for two things to click in together. It's a slow whirling I'd heard for a month, and all of a sudden I heard a little click. Everything worked out. Uh my number one, now I don't feel I I don't feel bad about it all. Uh but my number one, Peter, is uh, Peter saying that he's looking forward to having children, so he'll be able to cry more at movies. <laughs> that is true. I like these little moments that I completely forgot. Yep. I don't even know if I edited that episode. No, I That's did. Like- I made sure I left that one in. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even call attention to it at the time. But it was just like, well, yeah. I hope someday when I have kids, I can cry at movies more too. It's like, well, let's, you know. It's a good reason to have kids. Maybe not the best. <laughs> it's a um, reason. Although it speaks to how much you like movies that you're like, well, if I have this kid, maybe I'll feel more emotions when I watch fictional characters interact. Maybe I won't <laughs> be so dead inside. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think anything will will um, rise my internal corpse from its slumber. Uh, I think I'll be dead inside for the rest of my life. Yeah, he did say he'd hopes that happens. He didn't say <laughs> yeah, he, he it expects would. it to happen. <laughs> yeah. This isn't um, a definite thing. <laughs> it's it's weird how many opportunities Aaron and I have had for weirdly revealing moments on the show. So thank you very much, Aaron. I really hope that you guys uh, have My Heart Will Go On playing softly in the background. As you tell each other what you love about each other. <laughs> that, that happens at every episode. Uh, it's not. Oh, <laughs> it's not. It'd be nice um, if you listen to an episode, Amanda. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. In her defense, it doesn't happen on the actual show. When I listen to the podcast, though, I, I have one speaker going. That's just Celine Dion's. My heart will go on on repeat. And then I listen to the to the podcast. Sounds um, perfectly enjoyable. Yeah, I understand that it's not for everyone. <laughs> oh, no, but so, certainly it works for you. Yeah, so I, I do that rig myself. It's my own way to experience things. You shouldn't judge rig. me. <laughs> yeah, <it's a> rig. Yeah, it's a rig. Celine Dion rig. Yep. It's a rig. It's a, yeah, it's a computer uh, on top of a subwoofer. <laughs> it, just, it just plays the bass. <laughs> 
<laughs> so much bass in a Celine Dion song. Yeah, that's the best part. Every once in a while, I hear a, a slight thud, and I'm like, that's, that's my favorite part of the song. <laughs> there it goes. We're there, baby. Uh, All right. This is where I cry. Yeah. Oh, this is the good part. This is where she really goes high with those notes that I can't goes hear. Goes bananas. On the subwoofer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Peter, I believe you have a game for Amanda. I do. Oh, and it's dear. called... It's called Let's Catch Up. Oh, I see what you did there. We made a half hour into the show without a last name pun. (laughs) I admire your restraint. (laughs) It could have happened seconds into the show. Well, for the listener, it'll probably be five minutes into the show because I'm assuming all that's going. Yeah, no, no one's going to hear any of that. This is the beginning of the show. So, uh, hey, Amanda, welcome to the show again. Um, I just want... I just want to ask a few basic questions of you so um, listeners can get kind of a feel for who you are. Okay. So, my, my, my first question is, um, what are some of your favorite movies? Uh, so, favorite movies. Um, I, I kind of like everything. Obviously, Hot Fuzz is one of my favorite movies. I also really like um, the Thin Man series, at least the first four in the Thin Man series. Uh, Myrna Loy, William Powell. I like the banter uh, and the fabulous clothes and all the cocktails. Um, uh, really into Tarantino. Really into Hammer Horror. Uh, sort of 50s horror, which is why we're here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of what I what I'm into what I like. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, Amanda, how's life going right now? Um, I life is all right. I'm teaching two classes in the morning, so I'm kind of not in a good headspace, but that's okay. Well, you're doing just fine. Um, uh, life's good for me too. You didn't ask. <laughs> it's going. It's going yeah. fine. Yeah. The name. The game isn't uh, Armstrong's. Let's catch up. Um, so. <laughs> no, I know. I, I just wanted to be a part of things for a second. <laughs> no, you don't get to be a part of this game. How are you, Aaron? Not great. My co-host keeps leaving me out of games. <laughs> so, hey, Amanda, you have 100 apples. In this example, you are a normal person, but your ears are a half inch lower than they currently are. A man asks you for one apple. What do you do? Oh, fuck it. He doesn't need that apple. Good answer. Hey, Amanda, you come home from work. A cat is at your doorstep. You have extra milk, but as you were planning on making milkshakes later, you have enough milk for two out of three of the following options. To feed the cat, to eat your breakfast cereal tomorrow, or to have your milkshakes tonight. Which of the two out of three do you choose? Oh, I'm feeding that cat and having breakfast in the morning. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, milkshakes are overrated, right? I I don't like things that are too cold. Oh, really? Yeah. What about Aaron's personality? Uh, you know, there there's some distance there, and I am feeling it, but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get through it together. That's fine by me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, Amanda, <laughs> you're in the desert, walking along the sand. When all of a sudden you look down and you see a tortoise, it's crawling towards you. Do you know what a turtle is? <laughs> it's turtles all the way down, Peter. Thank you. A tortoise lays on its back, its belly baking in the hot sun, beating its legs, trying to turn itself over. But it can't, not without your help. But you're not helping. Why is that, Amanda? Because I'm terrible. Great answer. <laughs> do, you want, do you want something more reflective? No, I want honest answers right out of the way. We're just trying to get people to get a sense of who you are. So actually, shorter answers sometimes speak louder. 
Good. Uh, <laughs> you are hiking in the Himalayas. Lapsang no, tells you the path is dangerous, but you do not heed the warnings. Of course you don't, for you are a brazen adventurer. Lapsang has been weak, taking on too many trips for such an old man. But he has a family at home and a sick daughter. Lapsang collapses in the snow. A sudden rush of snow comes in, distorting the environment around you. You feel suddenly alone, and when you feel suddenly joined by a presence, a dark figure approaches you in the distance. Its figure is much larger than you were Lopsang. It somewhat resembles a yeti. Do you run for the village below in the valley, or do you stay with Lopsang against the beast in the fog? Hey, Peter, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's doing well. I think, uh, I think these questions are more revealing about him than they are of me. <laughs> Just, I'm sure it'll be over soon. Just answer the question, Amanda. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, considering that Lao Sang is freezing and dead, I'm running away. That's a great answer. But to be fair, um, I wouldn't have gone on that hike. Enough. Yeah, that's true. That's Wait, true. who was whose name was Lop Sang? Oh, Lop Sang. <laughs> what, what was the name? <laughs> I was only half paying attention. It's fine. I, I googled. Uh, I googled like Himalayan names, and it was a name that came up. Oh, okay. Um, Very uh, thorough. Yeah, I didn't want to just make something up. Um, the Council of Elders has met in the council. <laughs> uh, decided <you're> surprising! <laughs> and decided your spirit familiar has condemned to unlife. You believe their decision is just, but your spirit crystal was installed by the elder councils themselves. Is that influencing your feelings on the matter? Yes. <laughs> you launch in your space bubble in your space bubble into orbit around Fudrucker Seven, your home planet, to meditate. Is that also a Himalayan name? It is. It is. Yes. It's 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 Himalayan for make your own burger bar. <laughs> you consider eating a Cuban sandwich. Do you? No. 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 See, we learned everything that we need to know about you. Yeah. Thank you very much, Amanda. You're you're quite welcome. <laughs> So, so this is it, right? That's it. Oh, that's, oh good. That's all good. I got. Uh, uh, thank you. That that game is going to be retroactively titled Peter's Nervous Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> you reacted uh, really well to the level of insanity of that game. So thank you very much. Okay. I like the way it didn't sound like you were reading them. <laughs> You're a rabbit. And you're running through the forest. <laughs> it got super fast and intense. Like, I hope you were reading them. <laughs> this is just what's going on in his mind all the time. Yeah. I see. He closed his eyes and was, like, holding his hands to his temple and, like, reciting <laughs> what he saw. I was picturing it as sort of that minority report, like, air computer yeah. thing. <laughs> There's a man to the left. He has a gun. <laughs> all right. Do you guys want to start talking about the thing from another world? Oh, wait, we're talking about a movie? No, kidding. Recap, alien unearthed in the snow, uh, crew finds it, crew kills it. Or did they? 
Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, 90 well, second watch recap. Watch the skies. Yeah. Watch, watch the skies. Oh, wait, no. Skies. <laughs> watch them. <laughs> Close the door. My Close character. the door. That's my fair character. That's how we should have started the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Close really... the door. Yeah, so 90 second recap. Uh, a bunch of uh, Air Force people are hanging out. A general says to go to the North Pole. They go to the North Pole. Uh, they find a alien spacecraft that's been buried deep within the snow. Uh, they pull it up. Everyone is super just immediately like, yep, we found a flying saucer. Uh, because in the 1950s, everyone constantly expected to find flying saucers. There was no, like, no one had to deal with any emotions about this can't be really happening. Uh, so they brought him out. Uh, and then there's basically kind of a face-off between uh, the scientist who wants to cap- keep him alive, wants to figure out how he reproduce, uh, as they find out it is a space uh, plant, uh, vegetable. Uh, although plant would have been a much cleaner way to say it. I don't know why they kept insisting on calling it a specific type of plant. But regardless, the the alien ends up trapped in the greenhouse trying to be with his own kind. And there is a debate about what to do with it uh, between the military and the scientist. At some point he gets out, they kill him with a flamethrower, and he runs away, and they eventually kill him again. And at that point, they tell the audience, like all 1950s science fiction movies do, watch out, they're coming for you, because they're all secretly about communists. Oh. Yeah. Spoiler alert, it was the commies. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it is kind of amazing how many, how many like, 1950s movies ends with, like, some sort of dire warning to yes. everyone in the audience. Yes. Um, that's, uh, that's something that doesn't happen as much. That was just, like, a common trope where the either, either sometimes uh, indirectly telling the audience, like, in this one where they're just announcing over the radio – uh, but some like invasion of the body snatchers where he, you know, runs right up to the audience and tells them to get out and run They're You know, they're all they're already here. It, yeah, I uh, it brought to mind uh, It Conquered the World by Roger Corman, uh, Peter Grave, brother of James Arness, the monster in this movie, uh, and his his speech that uh, the alien learned too late that man is a feeling creature. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which means American. Yeah, it's great. A lot of those mystery science theater movies end on those dramatic uh, uh, speeches. So it, it brought that back to mind. Yeah, yeah. they're kind of great. Um, yeah, but so before we get into like bigger themes, um, I thought we just would quickly go through. And um, well, I didn't think that it's it's in the the, the index for how we're going to cover this episode. Um, but, uh, we'll just quickly go through and kind of talk about if we've seen this movie before, our experience and our overall thoughts of the movie, and then we can just start talking about whatever, whatever we want. Um, well, I have not start, seen Amanda. this movie before. I'm going to start. No. Great. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> this is happening. Do it. Do it well. I'm going um, to. I didn't know that you'd never seen this movie. I hadn't. I hadn't seen this movie. And uh, I've seen movies along similar themes. Uh, So certainly this seems to be uh, a really good template for a lot of things that come after it. Um, There's a bunch of schlocky sci-fi that sort of has the same premise and the same setup. So, I mean, I've seen John Carpenter's The Thing. So, you know, I kind of knew where the story was going. But I actually really enjoyed it. I liked it. Um, you know, it's it's your standard sort of 50s sci-fi schlocky kind of thing. But that's right up my alley. So I really I, – I dug it. So I have seen this before. I saw it uh, – I must have been like 16 or 17. 
um, when I was going through. It's uh, it's number 87 on the um, American Film Institute's uh, 100 Greatest Thrills list. I think I've mentioned on the show before that uh, kind of my first real like obsessive cinephilia thing was like i'm gonna watch all these movies on these afi lists so i actually saw this because the the john carpenter version is not on any of those lists because yeah it's very stodgy like if you look at the comedy list that's a great example of like how a bunch of people uh voted for movies that they probably remembered from 60 years ago like it's like it's fine but when you're talking about the the 100 funniest movies of all time there's there's movies on there that are barely comedies like woman like woman of the year yeah um or stuff like that like not doesn't mean they're bad movies but it's it's definitely a pretty stodgy list in a lot of these and definitely not trying to like uh stray from anything that was like culturally accepted there's no cult left-handed you know surprising anyways so so i saw that uh, i really liked it but and i had never seen john carpenter's the thing so um, which I, I think is probably we'll we'll talk about that in a second. I think that's probably the best way to experience this movie. Is, oh uh, yeah, for sure. As a great template of like yeah, fifty science fiction movies. It was uh, this this movie came out the same year as uh, the day the Earth stood still, and this was the higher grossing movie, the highest grossing uh, science fiction movie of the year, actually. So you know, it it does a good job of still like establishing paranoia. Even if it doesn't follow the book from what I've heard as well as John Carpenter's version, um, it really does um, still stick with some interesting themes. And I think enough interesting stuff I'm, – I'm saying interesting a lot uh, because I, my thesaurus d- burned up in a fire. Um, Was it electrocuted but- in uh, Arctic base? Yes, definitely. I think it's one of the better versions that still holds up of like a 1950s sci-fi horror film. And I, I think in general, there's something comforting. I don't, I don't know what this is about me. Maybe we can dive into it. But like when I'm sick, I like watching old like 1950s and 40s uh, sci-fi and horror movies. There's something uh, both like entertaining and easy to follow about everything that's going yeah. on. And, and like, but still has a sense. So there's something about like a, a guy in a monster suit that's comforting to me. So these are like, if everyone has their comfort food movies, like 40s and 50s science fiction horror movies are mine. Is that an MST3K thing? Like, where's the cross section between those two phenomena? Because MST3K is like my sick. When I'm sick, I'm just like, I want to watch The Simpsons and I want to watch uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, me too, totally. Uh, if I'm sick, it's an MST3K day all day. See, I think there's something about... See, I don't like... Well, I, Mystery Science Theater 3000 is one of my favorite shows of all time. I don't like watching comedies in general when I'm sick. I don't know why. It, like, doesn't help. Like, I mean, like, like flu, like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in bed all day watching the movies. Like, the sniffles, fine, but... Sometimes it's hard, when your chest is congested, it's hard to laugh deeply. It's really, it's really, I think describing comfort food in general is, is difficult. Like, I don't know, for some reason, this, this is easy to follow, and the black and white cinematography is, um... It's not soothing on It's the soothing, eyes. yeah, it's, it's soothing, and I don't, I don't know. This is now, now, now I'm the one having a nervous breakdown. I'm so but, glad I'm here for you guys tonight. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it just, there's just something about it. And I think, I think, you know, it still has, uh, they still have an engaging plot. I can kind of um, follow what's going on. I, yeah, I don't know. It, that's, that's just how it is. Shut up. Let's move on. Good. Good. So, yeah, great, great segue. Uh, yeah. So, uh, everybody, shut three. up. I'm going to be in my yelling corner. 
<laughs> my Maestri. TV's right behind me if you need something to yell at. <laughs> so my history with the whole series is actually I played it or I watched it weirdly inversed. So weirdly enough, I played the Xbox video game of The Thing, which is like a sequel to the John Carpenter movie first when I was in like eighth grade. And then I was like, I guess I'll check out the movie, watch the movie, immediately fell in love with it. Um, over the years, it just became my favorite movie. Like, The Thing is my favorite movie. Like, the movie I'm most comfortable saying it, and I think it'll last in that position for the longest time. And then eventually, I wandered back to Think From Another World, and I wasn't crazy about it when I watched it when I was younger. It, a lot of it had to do with... Maybe at the time I was expecting like gore or I was expecting, um, you know, something that was funny in a more modern sense or, you know, I just didn't connect to the characters. Whatever happened, I didn't like it when I was younger. It definitely has an old fashioned sensibility about it. Yeah, it's there's a lot of like good old war heroes hanging around and making cards jokes like they're they're, like you don't want to go against captain if it get poker like shit like that. Um. But the the but when I rewatched it this time, I quite loved it. I it was it finally had its effect on me, and I think that that's between now and I don't know eight years ago when I watched it. Uh, the, the the thing from another world. Um, I learned how to hear like old uh, old movie dialogue. I think that there's like a specific kind of listening that you have to do with these kind of movies where you have to hear through the static or you have to hear through strange old-timey rhythms and sort of get on the movie's wavelength and not give up when you turn it on and you're like, that's not really funny. And then like eventually <laughs> the movie does become funny. You have to be open-minded to something that was made for a you know, something two generations before you were born. Um, yeah, and it's it's important to remember, too, like when they made these old movies, there wasn't that much film. So in order to make sure they didn't use up all the film that existed, they told all the actors, like, say these lines as fast as you can. And that's why it's got a very snappy quality to it. I mean, they say they – say, um, Christian Nyby is credited as the director, but they say Howard, Howard Hawks is, is really the director. And it – Reminds me of other Howard Hawks movies where I've seen where it's got a very snappy quality. Oh, yeah. there It's just bam, 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 bam. I mean, the rhythm of the way that they talk to each other is so fast, fastly paced um, that at first it, it really does take a second to get used to um, and get into that world because it is just banter, banter, banter. I also want to clarify that there, there was – I don't know how much film there was. That was a joke that didn't work. Aww. <laughs> I was just trying to make a point that they talk very fast. <laughs> I I didn't want to interrupt, but I was like, there's a war on. We don't have a lot of film, but no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if Aaron was bringing some sort of research in that I didn't know. No, if it's you like, want to put some cricket noises in, that, that I'm editing it, but we'll mark time. <laughs> He's uh, a student of how much film there is in the world. Yeah. <laughs> there was exactly enough to say the line at this tempo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like I like the movie I like the movie more on a human level this time, which made me enjoy it more because I found that the the, the interaction between um, the lead uh, man and the lead woman I found their sort of like romantic relationship really charming this time, whereas before I found it kind of like stilted and strange. This time I found it kind of charming and romantic and, and sweet. Um, also, the fact that there are two uh, two women characters in this movie, and they both get shit to do, is kind of fun. Yeah, 
the the nineteen eighties thing, the John Carpenter thing, is more diverse racially. Uh, and someone could say like, oh, but the army wasn't desegregated. This movie came out after the army was desegregated. It was more of a people weren't ready to see black people in that kind of context yet. Um, but the 80s horror movie is more racially diverse. This one is more um, gender diverse. So it has, yeah, it has two two female characters that are part of the action. They get to do things. <laughs> I was going to wait a, a minute to say this, but, but as long as you mention it, I think it's worth jumping into now that I do think it's interesting, though. One thing when you watch this movie is, is that the hero always has a love interest. And I was thinking about it watching this movie. And yeah, they absolutely have shit to do. Any movie like this where they, they do have female characters, they're always, you know, there's there's someone, the main one, who's in love with the hero. And then I started thinking and I'm like, huh, you know, if they if the female characters didn't play love interest to the heroes in a lot of these movies uh they wouldn't have any need for female actresses in hollywood because there just there wasn't like a that i can think of besides maybe some hitchcock stuff and amanda please correct me if i'm wrong but it feels like i don't know why i never put this together this way but like if you weren't the love interest in a movie as a female actress, you probably weren't in a movie. Yeah, I mean, I think unless you're talking about like a women, a woman's picture or something like that. But what yeah. I find really interesting about um, Nikki, the the love interest in this movie, um, is that she actually sort of has her own personality. So yep. she, you know, she's in love with Pat, and and that's all great. But it's it's. They're on an equal playing field, um, I think, most of the time. And she seems to have the better of him a lot of the time. Um, So I thought that was really kind of refreshing. So it's not just um, sort of this a secretary that's sort of pining for him you know one she she plays an active role um Mm -hmm. in what's going on you know she's uh essentially the one that kind of moves the whole last act uh into place but you know she's also sort of the one in control of the relationship and so i thought that was kind of interesting um because that's not something you really expect from a movie like this you generally expect sort of the the simpering sweet long-suffering girlfriend and, and yep. so that was kind of a nice little tweak on that, I thought. Yeah, that, that feels very much like a Howard Hawks touch. Yeah, his, his movies, exactly. His movies had a lot of like, even if they're um, love interests and it's, you know, whatever, it's it's still, you know, they're, they're independent, they're strong, they have, you know, their own point of perspective. Um, so, yeah, that really feels like a, a lot of his movies were the exceptions. I mean, hell, His Girl Friday is one of the best examples of that. I mean, you can't have like a Rosalind Russell movie or something like that and not have sort of a strong woman character. Um, but I but I did appreciate that here. I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was really cool to to see that in a sci-fi movie where that's not usually or at least in the 50s, that's not the norm. Yeah, there's so much of a, like this Island Earth version where it's like, yeah. oh, Mark. Or yeah. ca- oh, Cal. Cal. Which, speaking of which, I mention it too because the wormy guy is in this movie. <laughs> the wormy guy. Think of me, Cal. I'm yeah. the wormy guy. <laughs> it's it's funny when you see uh, characters you recognize, uh, character actors from the time that are like, I know you from a Mystery Science Theory 3000 episode. Oh, you poor man. <laughs> you poor, poor That's man. That's the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the movie. Kiss me goodbye. Oh. <laughs> 
I love the wormy guy. He's one of the best. Yeah, did I ever tell you? I don't know if I ever told you guys this. So, Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand, uh, the movie, was the first episode of the show I ever saw. Really? So, yep. And I, because uh, we did not have cable, and I had to stop the movie. I was laughing so hard. Like five or six times, uh, so I know it's considered lesser, but I've I've probably memorized that movie. I've seen it so oh, many yeah. times, and it's still my favorite episode. It's still my favorite episode, just because it just was so like this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen, yeah. uh, in my life. Um, fun fact about yours truly: the one week it was in movie theaters in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I got to go see it in the movie theater. That's amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. The, the movie wasn't around long enough. It was not no. a lo- around long enough. I think there were three other people in the movie theater. Oh, that's why it wasn't around long enough. That's why it well, wasn't that, around long enough. Yeah, it was Gramercy Pictures, and they had decided whether to promote Barbed Wire or Mystery Science Theater 3000, because they did not have much money. Well, that just, I mean, you know, logically, you're going to you're gonna bet on Pam Anderson every time, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, it did It did become one of the highest grossing movies of all time, so I guess their their bet paid off. Aww. <laughs> Aww. I'm not sure what we're awing. I don't know either. Can we get into something that I, I found humorous about this movie? And, and you guys can uh, laugh if you want. I love the character of the reporter. One of my favorites, Scotty. Great guy. Uh, seems to think that... Well, my editor's going to be so mad. Oh. Um, <laughs> Nobody called me? <laughs> they got the scoop. I love how he thinks a top coat and a fedora is appropriate Arctic wear. Yeah, what was the deal with that? I and he's t- shivering throughout most throughout of the movie. The movie. <laughs> he's got like a silk scarf on. He's got, you know, a wool overcoat, but certainly nothing that is prepared for the elements. And he's just got a fedora on. You know, I think I think that he's sort of part of the reason that I didn't like the movie the first time. And I, I really liked it this time because I had to adjust my expectations because I was spe- expecting something more like the remake. Which is uh, more traditionally horror, right? Because it's got a sort of, um, uh, I mean, the th- the thing is like straight up nihilistic at times, uh, particularly in its ending. But the uh, it's like more dreadful and it's right. more dark and, and bleak. Um, and this has a sort of like zippy sci fi adventurism to it, and a uh, a comic relief character like the the uh, journalist fits in more. With something like this, where they're scared, yes, but they're all kind of reacting capably. Like, uh, the captain is like, he never really seems, like, terrified. He just seems like, I have to take this seriously. There's a sort of adventurism of it that's um, fun. It's part of the tone. Yeah, it's really typical of that period of film that you have these sort of uber-competent, maybe still military, maybe ex-military and, and I and I assume that that's sort of a a nationalistic sort of jingoistic kind of thing. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but they do. They're these super uh, competent Americans that are going to save the day, and so we don't really have to worry because we know at the end um, it's all going to work out. And as long as we can explode something or electrocute it, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, they do have a debate about whether to try fire, which, um, you know, fire works on everything. Yeah. I think yeah. It, it even melts steel beams. <gasps> no kidding. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do like that Nikki's whole thing, boil it, burn it, 
come on, do something like that. It'll be fine. Yeah, they're not particularly scared. You're, you guys are right. It's not till the very end where I think it really is trying to instill terror in the sense that, like, it's the monsters coming at you. What do we do? For I mean, for most of the movie, it's, it's very interesting in that for most of the movie, the monster is just essentially locked in the greenhouse. They're fine that it's there. The horror comes from a sense of, like, ignorance where we don't know what it's doing there how should we proceed with handling this i think the other part of the tenseness for the audience something else i'm remembering about 1950s sci-fi is that science was in many cases the bad guy which is very much you know post-atomic age where you just had like you know you had the tough american people who we gotta kill it that's the way to solve things and it's this, you know, sniveling scientist who, like, you know, thinks all lives are equal and we can't, we can't, we can't just throw away this discovery. So, you know, watching it again, it is like, as a, as a message, this movie is garbage. Right. Like, it is, it is really, like, it, it's, it's so clear. And this is so true of, like, I'm not dismissing it from that angle because if you did that, you would have to dismiss so many movies from the 50s. I didn't catch it at all when I was 16, but now, like, the basic propaganda that, like, science is not to be trusted and the American attitude of taking charge and taking care of problems, like, it's it's not even close to a level of subtlety that I probably should have caught it even at 16. Right. Well, and, and you know, the whole basis of sort of the scientific belief – uh, in this particular film that um, obviously this this giant vegetable creature that eats blood uh, is clearly more advanced than humans. And clearly we have things to learn from it uh, because it's so superior to humans. Um, it's a strange message. But he does kind of have a point, right? That like, I, I get why he, I don't get why he does the, the situ, I don't get why the, the mad scientist pulls the move at the end where he points a gun at them and it like, basically is like, no, we're not killing this thing. Like, this is the, we found out this is the only way to kill it, but we're not killing this thing. That, that part, I uh, don't stand with him, but the scene where he's like, experimenting with the, the, the blood and the, the, um, the smaller carrot versions of the thing. Right. I, I totally, I totally understood that because he's like, I'm a scientist. I'm here to perform tests. And it, the, it, it sort of also links up with one of my favorite parts about this movie and the remake is that both of them are about a team of professionals. Everybody is acting within their role on the, on the team and doing their best job as a professional on the team. When the soldiers try and light the thing on fire, they sure should do their best job. They're just right. dousing him with buckets of flame. Like, everybody is very competent in the movie, even the, the evil character. I guess not even evil, but like morally objectionable character. I liked that he, I liked that he was uh, growing the things in there. And then uh, Nikki was like – and he was kind of open to the discussion because he didn't see it as an evil thing that he had to hide from people. He was like – Let's let's talk through this. This is something. This is a situation that you know has never happened to Earth and may never happen again. Like, can we afford to destroy every sample of this creature's DNA? The scientists in the room are even kind of scratching their heads. Like, the doctors in the room are like, "Yeah, I think you should destroy it, man." But I get where you're where you're coming from. I liked that little conflict. And then Nikki eventually is like, "Yeah, I'm going to tell Captain because we don't need seven of these things running around." <laughs> yeah, I, I just I think that I understand that you would think. Um, that sounded more <laughs> insinuating than I meant it, but no, I think it's on tone. I think it's on. Yeah, point. <laughs> um, I understand that you'd go. Yeah, of course, this guy makes sense, but I don't think the movie 
at any point thinks that he is doing the right thing. I think that you're supposed to be like, this guy's nuts. Look, he's risking American lives for the purpose of science. Like, I think science is definitely the bad guy in this movie. Although I, you know, I do understand the inclination to destroy giant vegetables because vegetables are gross. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this movie boils down to. The per- his personal diet choice. If it was a fruit monster, I'd be like, you save that shit. Fruit is delicious. <laughs> He's made out of chocolate? This is amazing. Yeah. Maybe, I guess the <laughs> carrots are fine. But, like, if it was a tomato, which I get as a fruit, um, or, I don't know, mushrooms? Is that a vegetable? Is that a fungus? Well, I had chili tonight, so I had literally all the things that you've listed. You put mushrooms in your chili? Mm-hmm. If I have them. That's I don't I don't think I can approve of that. Get out! <laughs> it's, it's chili. I like chili. mushrooms. Wait, you put carrots chili. in your chili? If I have them, yeah. Are you a vegetarian? Do you know how to make no. chili? <laughs> <laughs> you're not eating like that weird Cincinnati chili, are you? You're you're making a stew. It's a yeah, different. That's, thing. A soup. that's that's like a beef stew. Yeah. That's it's not chili. Oh, it, you put whatever you want in it. No, 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 it's not. No. What kind of Mister Rogers bullshit taught you that a chili can be whatever you want it to be? You try, you try, <laughs> you try that in Texas and see how far you get. They You're a shot. Yeah, you will because they all and have guns and have opinions on chili. Yeah, they, that's really more of an implication on Texas than Peter. But I don't um, know, man. <laughs> he just said he puts whatever he has in his chili. Yeah, mushrooms, celery. Remember, Amanda used to live in Oklahoma. I know chili. Yeah, and Texans. And Texas. My mom lives in Houston. Would your mom murder me in cold blood right now? That'd be a good series finale of our show. (laughs) Uh, Who shot Peter Moran? (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening to old episodes and I think I found a clue. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, no, I listen to old episodes and every single one of our guests hates him. <laughs> They've all secretly been judging his chili making skills. What is this? <laughs> Someone's like, now I know why I didn't like him. <laughs> no jury in the world would commit would, would convict me for murdering a man who put mushrooms in his chili. I think carrots is the worst offense, but, you know, that's up for debate. <laughs> the point is you should die over it. <laughs> I think that's... I mean, it's an affront uh, to chili. Yeah, it's important to get into semantic arguments uh, that lead to people's death. <laughs> yeah, you guys you guys want to take the rest of the episode? or? <laughs> <laughs> I think Peter feels attacked. I'm sorry that you make poor chili. <laughs> it's good chili, Peter. Don't listen to her. <laughs> uh, it was really good, by the way. I'm going to eat it for lunch tomorrow, too. I don't care what you guys say. <laughs> So actually, uh, I want to back up for a sec because okay. I think it, I, th- I think one thing that before we get too far into this that I think it's important to note. So Is it that our lead this- actor looks like Peyton Manning? Uh, no, but he absolutely does. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. No, so this is – we forgot to mention this as always because we're terrible hosts of our own podcast. Uh, but this is the first episode in Take Two Month oh. where – where we're talking about generally considered good science fiction horror movies, but then they're much more well-respected uh, remakes. So next week we'll be doing The Thing. And we're going to try our best. We haven't fully succeeded yet, but we're going to try our best to not talk about uh, The Thing as much as possible and make sure that we're still talking about this as like its own cultural artifact, as Peter likes to say. But one thing I think is interesting and worth discussing 
And I think this speaks to the larger themes of like when you're talking about different versions of a story, which one's superior? I think it's really tempting and easy to make comparisons to this version of the thing with the 1982 version because I think most of us would probably agree that's the better version. Right. I don't imagine that we're going to have the same issue next week. I think that we're going to have so much to talk about in that movie specifically. We're probably not going to refer back and go, well, you know, in the 1951 version, this is what they did. And I thought it'd be interesting to discuss why is it just is it just as simple as, well, when it's the better version, there's nothing that's worth comparing to that's worse necessarily or doesn't work if worse isn't the right term doesn't work as well is that is it simple as that because when people talk about this movie they tend to want to refer to the 1982 version when people talk about the 1982 version they don't have that same desire to refer back they're such different films like from the ground up their their sense of their their tone is completely different the creature is completely different like at their core, they've got some structure that that's very similar. Um, they, there's an alien crash site. There's even a scene with all of them surveying around the crash site. They use planes instead of helicopters in this one. Like, but they're flying out to tell you that they're traveling a long distance. There's multiple camps in the Arctic. The setting is is the same. There's, there's paranoia, but it's not paranoia of who's who. It's paranoia about who's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I exactly. think that's the key difference. And, you know, and I hesitate to say that this is even an, an inferior version just because I, I agree with Peter. I think they're trying to do two completely different things. I think this is a more sort of 50s optimistic sci-fi, whereas uh, the Carpenter version really is a horror movie. It's... And so I, I think they're really, despite, you know, some of the DNA that they share, I think they really are these these two separate entities. I agree with that 100%. I guess I'm curious more about why our natural tendency when talking about one is ref- to refer to the other, and I don't think that's the case with the other one. How many conversations do you have about this movie that automatically brings up the thing? I would say that yeah. it's the same thing about uh, The Fly. Like, when people talk about The Fly – uh, both versions. When they talk about the 1986 version, they just talk about the 1986 version. When they talk about the fly from the 50s, they usually will say it doesn't work. You know, they they're they're still talking about the 80s version in that discussion. And I don't know exactly why that is, unless it is just as simple as well, we like this one better or that one's more well known. So when we talk about the older version or the original version, we'd like to use. The one that people are more familiar with is a touch point. Like, I, I don't know what that is. I don't know why when we talk about one, we talk about the other one. But when we talk about the other one, we don't talk about the other one. That was a very confusing way to say it. But. No, 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 no. I think I get what you're – I'm picking up what you're putting down. Do you think that some of that is like the earnestness of some of these 50s movies doesn't necessarily translate as well anymore? For sure. I didn't – I think it required more – it required more of a, uh, a disconnect for me to, or sorry, it required more of a um, a connection for me to get into this uh, as it would be for uh, the, the 80s Carpenter one. Not just because I'm so familiar with Carpenter's aesthetics, but just because plain, plainly um, what time period they take place and the way people communicate and how that's changed over the course of, of decades in film. One is just easier to digest if you're someone that is a generation X or a millennial aged person probably. And 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 I want to be clear, I'm not proposing this as theories. 
I'm not entirely sure because, Peter, I think you're 100% right. I think that, that the Thing remake or, you know, the, the 1982 version of the Thing has more in common with something like Invasion of the Body Statures. Like, these are these are similar movies almost in name only with, like you said, some similar settings. So I just find it very interesting that it feels like, as a cultural conversation, we can't talk about this version without talking about the other one. And I'm wondering what about it makes that the case. So I don't, I don't, I don't know why. I yeah. just I think it's interesting to 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 kind of un, unwrap why that is. Yeah, I just I I also kind of think that some of that paranoia that you know the the communist, the jingoistic kind of stuff that we've been talking about that's really prevalent in this film and and sort of it's ilk is something that we can't wrap our minds around. You know what I mean? It, that's that's not something that we deal with. Now, you know, dealing with these ideas of, um, you know, fighting your inner nature, fighting what's inside of you and, and, and sort of these more internal issues, I think, in a way, are more relatable for a modern viewer than this sort of existential national threat. Yeah, and our, our the red the red scare is so different than what we're going through today, which is more tied into um, racism. The red scare you were scared of intellectuals, and you were scared of intellectuals and the poor and, and poor in intellectuals. Case, yeah, the poor intellectuals, the <laughs> college, those free college Obamacare educated intellectuals. Um, but in, in the case of our our modern fear is more race related because it's it's tying into islamophobia exactly like the idea that you could you could your neighbor is a southeast asian person but if you don't have your head on straight and you're a paranoid person you might think you know why do they why do they cut their lawn that way why do they why do they act that way right um it, it's a different thing because you can like racially profile people and then assume that they're uh, they're terrorists somehow. Whereas with the Red Scare, it's like there were some class distinctions. Yeah. But like white people, Jewish people. I guess Jewish people suffered the same way that Muslims and South and Middle Eastern people are, are, are suffering today in America, because people just kind of assumed that Jews were friendlier to the communists. Um, Who but, isn't friendly to the communists? But no, yeah, they're, back, they throw great parties. <laughs> I'm, that's what I hear. Yeah, there was there wasn't a version of uh, with the communists that like he's one of the good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. they were all bad ones, right? Yeah, and and I, I I just think that there's an element there that's hard for a modern audience to really instantly jump in on. Because that's, you know, that sort of invisible fifth column idea just isn't something necessarily that we have in that same way now. I think one of the ways that that's most clear is the way that they handle discovering uh, flying saucers. I kind of alluded to it earlier when I was going through the 90-second recap. But it's important to remember in a lot of these movies, it seems almost goofy to our modern sensibilities where it's like, oh, flying saucer, can't believe it. But this one really does a good job of kind of underlying what was going on at that time. Like everyone expected to see flying saucers. It was not this kind of like nutso history channel thing where like if you see a flying saucer, you're crazy. And they, they even they even completely exemplify it by saying, well, they say holy cats first. As they do anytime. They're I really say it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but they said, they say, we finally got one. We found 
a flying saucer, which is like the best way to explain why those 50 sci-fi movies can seem goofy to people. Because if your mindset is if you saw a flying saucer, you would be shocked, scared, not believe your eyes like most of us nowadays. That it's like something that paranoid schizophrenics see or delusional people right. or something like that, which is what horror movies now or sci-fi movies kind of use when we're talking about flying saucers. In the 50s, their attitude was – we finally got one. Like, Jesus Christ, this took a long time. Like, exactly. we knew it was happening. Finally, here it is. Like, they're, they're, if anything, slightly annoyed that it took this long for them to find one. To a modern audience, seems goofy the way they react. But at the time, that was – it seemed like that was right around the corner, which is why you had no problem like regardless of the Roswell incident. Like the newspaper the next day was like they found a flying saucer. That would never be print. That was just the next day news. Like of course, here it is. They found it in Roswell. Here's the picture of the guy with the parts. And they retracted it later. But that was just seemed like an inevitable thing that was going to happen to us. Because everyone makes mistakes. So yes, they do. Your sister and your brother and your dad and mother too. Big people, small people, matter of fact, all people. Everyone makes mistakes, so why can't you? Have you ever made a mistake? It's not hard to do. All right. Well, so if you're listening to this podcast right now, which you clearly are because you're hearing my voice, um, we were just talking about something. Who knows? Doesn't matter. Um, I'm super excited to once again, when I'm editing this podcast, uh, put in another Technical Difficulties song. Uh, I got to do it once before on Superman 2. Extra exciting to be like, I got to find a new piece of music that fits these requirements. Uh, so that's probably what you just heard because we had some mild uh, te- technical difficulties. Uh, Peter, uh, all the talking about the 1982 The Thing, he was like, guys, it's my favorite movie respect that I need to go watch it right now. So he went, he watched it. Uh, he's, he's really excited to talk about it next week. And now we're back to finish talking about the, the, this thing, the 1951 version, Which um, thing? this thing. Um, that so thing? I think, no. yep, this thing, get up off on that thing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I think what we're going to do, uh, guys is, uh, Amanda and I have some stray thoughts that we'd like to just kind of discuss. And then Peter uh, has a wants to talk about the ending a little bit. So we'll go from there, do final thoughts, and then some plugs. So, Amanda, why don't you start with some other things that we have not got a chance to talk about that you think are worth pointing out? Well, one of the things that I'd like to point out, um, because we've talked about Mystery Science Theater already, I briefly mentioned that James Arness is the brother to Peter Graves, who starred in so many awesome Mystery Science Theater episodes, like It Conquered the World and Parts the Clonus Horror. Apparently, James Arness was very embarrassed by this role and didn't attend the premiere. And uh, I think he sold himself short. I think he, as the alien, captured a stumbling quality uh, and a general disdain towards mankind that I, I personally enjoyed. Yeah, I the, the whole time I was watching him, I'm like, he hates me and my entire race. <laughs> he does. He does. He really, <laughs> or species. He hates, hates my entire species. He just hates. He's the thing from another world that hates. Yeah. And I see us all as one race. I want to be very clear. <laughs> <laughs> I meant species. The human race. Yeah, thank you. That's what I meant. 
Here we go. Uh, You know, and um, I do, I I almost think it's sad that uh, James Arness wasn't in more mystery science theater movies because we could have, you know, like we have the uh, Peter Graves life at the University of Wisconsin sketch uh, in uh, the beginning of the end, which is another atomic giant bug invasion movie um you know we could have had a we could have had the life story of james arnest there so i feel like we're we're missing something it's funny that when i think about peter graves i either think of the beginning of the end or yeah, clearly phil hartman portraying him on saturday Night live with his <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> i'm peter graves yeah. i'm peter graves that the beginning of the end also has one of my favorite favorite mystery science theater jokes uh when peter hops on the bicycle because uh all of the uh, or no 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 that's it conquered the world i'm sorry uh peter hops on the bicycle because the aliens have destroyed all of the electrical systems uh in the town and crow immediately starts singing uh the wicked witch of the west theme from (laughs) wizard of oz (laughs) and it cracks me up every time so does he jump on a bicycle in both films? <laughs> oh no, I think it I think it's just uh it's it's just uh it conquered the world. But any Peter Graves mystery science movie is a treat. And I think James Arness really sold himself short. I think he could have he could have played the monster in a lot of things. Yeah, as long as he wasn't portraying hu- humanity, which, as noted, he hated so very much. So uh. very much. So, oh. so very much. And and then he was on Gunsmoke for 20 years, so... That proved he hated humanity. <laughs> um, Even okay, more. I, have you watched Gunsmoke? I've, I've never seen an episode of Gunsmoke. It's it's not worth watching. Uh, yeah, do you have any more... Uh, any more uh, like final little moments? Uh, the the other one that really caught my attention um, was uh, something that I wrote in my notes as Fifty Shades of Aliens. Uh, it's the scene where Nikki ties up Captain Pat. Uh, oh yeah, and uh, very exciting. I'm surprised that one got past the censors. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's because he's not really ever tied up. He's, Maybe that's yeah. It. He's he's not really ever tied up. Uh, but she does ply Hall him Hawks with is like booze. technically he's just sitting there. He really is. <laughs> uh, but she plies him with booze and sort of forces herself upon him. So yeah, that that was another standout scene to me. Yeah, she's she's in she's in control in this movie. It's it's really really terrific to not see her just be like to not have a scene where he just like shoves her in a closet to keep her safe, like. No, she's she's actually the one who uh, tips him off to the mad doctor being a mad doctor. Yeah, no, she's she's got a Nikki's great. She's got a key role, and uh, she knows what she wants. And she's into some shit. I, you know, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, no judgment. No, but clearly, clearly, this is a, a take charge kind of lady. Yeah, it's a pretty. I mean, for for a 1950s alien monster movie, like it's a pretty sexy scene. It's there's there is a lot of a lot of things happening in that scene. Um, like I said, I I'm surprised. I, I guess the whole sci-fi idea sort of gave it a pass, but uh, yeah, there's some stuff going on. This will inspire our troops to hate communists and science. It's fine. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I I had a couple little ones, nothing too. First of all, I like that the only science tool is that anyone's really aware of is a Geiger counter. I find yeah. that funny. Um, just pull the Geiger on it. But <laughs> my initial humorous at like, yeah, all these movies have a Geiger counter, and that's how they tell what's what. Um, they then use it as a super effective like pre Ridley Scott aliens way where it's they're kind of using it as like a sonar of like how calling off how close it is. I can't think of another movie that really did that. Obviously, it was used uh, quite a bit in like the Alien series and you know submarine movie and stuff like that. But I thought that was an extremely uh, clever touch that was a perfect way to like increase tension. Uh, for the audience by just count it's amazing how like counting down numbers when you know what's on the other side of those numbers when they get down to zero is uh or in this case get higher and higher uh is super is super effective um i like it's showing you the other side of the jump scare it's yep. showing you it's showing you what happens when uh when you tell somebody that something's going to come and and don't let them just have it when they're comfortable for it yep or yeah exactly that's perfect way to put it I, I like that he wanted to hang out in the greenhouse with his plant friends. I kind of already mentioned that, but there's just something so goofy. And I, I don't know if that's purposeful. I think it was just a like, he's a plant. He's going to want to be in the greenhouse. But I, I like to imagine that he's having co- – like, he's trying to communicate to people in there. Like, you're the guys that I came to see. What's going on with these other monsters out there? Turns out he's um, been hitting on a tomato the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then he saw a bullet chili and just got like irrevocably turned on and had to run out of the room. He's like, "This, this isn't chili." <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to kill humanity. Yeah, they don't deserve but- to live. <laughs> Look at what they've done to this dish. But like, what was the deal with? Why did he go after the dog? Like, come on, the well, dog I, didn't make the he chili. He wanted the blood, though. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was just confused. Um, the other thing is that uh, so when <laughs> when they been have been hitting the, on this bell pepper all night, and he was just real confused. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the the other thing is a very quick one, but uh, I love the line uh, at ten a.m. The hand became alive. Uh, it's yes. a great line, and if th- someone should steal that and use that as the opening line of like a short horror story. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be fantastic. That'd be yeah. great. That'd be great thievery. Ooh, a new new creepy pasta. Um, ten yeah, o'clock. Exactly. The hand became alive <laughs> at ten a.m. The hand wanted some chili. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all chili themed. I have no mouth, but I must eat chili. Yeah. I must eat chili. I think that's but I must again. digest. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the only final thing is that I think the scientist really uh, it's it's very funny in one scene he's talking about how um, how amazingly like evolved this creature is and he's more evolved than all of us and then he starts talking about uh, because he's a vegetable and vegetables don't have emotions and it's yeah. like well hold on it's very weird that you are immediately assuming that just like this fully evolved. A uh, vegetable doesn't have emotions just because the unevolved ones here on our planet don't. Like you've, you're like this creature is amazing. It's so evolved we can't even comprehend how amazing it is. It doesn't have emotions. <laughs> like you, <laughs> you took a swing in your expectations for this creature really quickly. <laughs> yeah, what he what he expects out of this this alien, it, it seems to say more about him than perhaps the alien. 
You know, it's yeah. smarter than us, but it's a plant. It has no emotions, yeah. so it's superior. <laughs> uh, he does a lot of that, I'm a scientist, damn it. Yeah, he's like, it flew halfway across the universe, and it will hold me while I cry <laughs> while we watch Up. Yeah. <laughs> It'll teach me not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it will, it will tell me to avoid Pixar at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm just picturing like if this movie had a hundred bad sequels like the Frankenstein movie had where it's just like it's just like the creature is just like why why do you make water from your eyes you like, no 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 stop it what yeah. is love <laughs> well, well at least that creature it wasn't that advanced that's the whole point this one is like what is love I yeah. am a vegetable <laughs> Yeah, if you guys don't think a carrot can love, I have some videos to show you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm not. I've, I've heard Christ. about your chili. I'm not interested in these videos. <laughs> I, th- I think, to be clear, in, th- in those cases, the carrot has a lot of love to give, but it doesn't know how to receive love. <laughs> oh, I don't. That just you seems... don't have to respond. I actually insist you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems unhygienic. Yeah, it's true. It's it's like a breakfast buffet at a strip club. Do you really want those eggs? (laughs) Which ones? Where they've been? (laughs) Just saying. It just you know you know the place isn't up to health code. It it just doesn't seem like how fresh are those eggs? Where did where's the where's the kitchen in this place? Well, I don't think you need to disparage the cook. I'm sure he's a fine, outstanding. <laughs> he's just, he's just trying to make breakfast for people. I don't know. I just do they have like a pancake and a waffle station? I don't know. All right, Peter, do you want to take us home? Yeah, not really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so one of the reasons that I think the movie turned around on me, um, or I turned around on the movie, was that it has a sort of intensity that thrums through it. Um, it moves really fast. It has that nice Howard Hawks sort of dialogue. It's got it's got the snappy presentation, and the last stretch of the movie is just them trying to kill the monster. And it has one of my favorite sequences I've seen in any horror movie, where they're just in this safe space, this like sort of um, barracks, and they're all chatting. And then I think the Geiger counter starts going off, mm-hmm. and they decide like let's let's bur- Nikki helps to. Se- Form the plan. They decide let's burn the carrot man. Oh, that rhymed. They they they're just hanging out, and then this door explodes open, and it's the the scariest I think the monster ever is in the movie because he's just standing in the frame and he's just in shadows, and you can tell how massive he is. And they're all I think, and they all just start soaking him with fire, and pretty soon the whole room is on fire. And it's an effect that like is so live and so in the moment, and this room felt so safe with a like. A snap of the fingers, the the room turns into this inferno, and it's it's something that that it's something that the stagey production of it improves it. Yeah, it's something that that that, that the sort of uh, stagey look that a lot of of older horror movies and sci fi movies have, and makes you know people think like, oh, it's just annoying. The camera doesn't move anywhere. In this this case, this is like an example of the format working amazingly well because you get so used to these these walls. And how they work, and it's 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 amazing. Yeah, it's great too because the the second that the creature appears, and the um and our protagonists start backing up away from it, like like all of a sudden they're shocked and they're kind of slowly backing away. The camera backs away with them, so you have this perspective shot of the monster moving towards the camera. The camera's backing away, 
And then all of a sudden on the left side, fire shoots out at the monster. And we're still backing away and everything like engulfs in flames in front of us. And now as like the audience member, it's not the monster that's the threat. It's the spreading fire towards yeah. us. Uh, that is that is one of the best fucking shots like I can remember in these movies. Like you, you're 100% right. Like it underlines the terror. It uh, keeps a confined space. It like it's very creative for a time that was a lot more known for its before Hitchcock came around of its static camera shots and just showing stuff like it is. It's a perfect moment. Well, and I read too, uh, so I cheated, obviously, and went to IMDb, but apparently uh, this this particular stunt uh, where they where they set the creature on fire um, was one of the very first pyrotechnic stunts like that that had been done. So there's sort of also uh, just this tension in watching everyone sort of react to uh, – the fire and this creature being set on fire that um, seems to to come from a real place even um, because because this is sort of a new stunt that they're working with. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm interested that you thought that was cheating to do research on the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know what you guys are up to all the Apparently time. we cheat every episode, especially if you're using our main source of information, which is either Internet Movie Database or Wikipedia. <laughs> um, I called someone that worked on this movie. At... You called the thing from another world? Yes. I you went just were talking time. to a carrot. Yeah, I did. I interviewed a carrot today, and uh, he's very upset at the portrayal. Uh, he says his people aren't like that at all. They're very kind. Um, and they should not be And we have emotions. <laughs> they do, and they feel very strongly about chili. <laughs> I knew that was coming back to chili. It's always coming back to chili. Oh, beat up on me some more, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, change your chili opinions. <laughs> chili opinions. I picture the end of this episode. No, this is this is all staying in. I picture at the end of this episode that Peter just walks up to his fridge, opens the door, pulls out the leftover chili, dumps it slowly into the sink, and then Charlie uh, Brown walks to bed. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> yes, I, I deserve. You're right. I, I deserve misery. Okay. This 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 is taking a really serious turn, Peter. <laughs> it's okay. So like, eat, eat the chili that makes you happy. We all love you. We're all here for you. Oh, thank you. And if you um, and if you need to fill, uh, feed that chili plasma and keep it alive to perform experiments on, I I suppose that's okay too. <laughs> yeah, we can go to some. F- some final thoughts um yeah i mean i don't i don't have much additional to say like it's a really i i i would put this very high on the list of like 50s 40s 60s like science fiction movies oh yeah um you don't need to compare it to the 1982 version to find uh this effective in its own right like it's it's a really it's a really fun uh movie with a couple horrifying elements and some interesting some interesting components to consider about about who do you trust and the way that people reacted to threats in like a cold war world and stuff like that. Uh, one other thing to remember the, the actual underlying message to this movie is complete garbage. 
please ignore that part. Right. Well, and I think too, um, now that I've seen it, I really, I can see sort of how it impacted other sci-fi movies that come out in the 50s because there's so many elements that I think you see in all of these different movies um, uh, some of better quality and some of lesser quality but that that DNA is there and and you can really see I think how how people saw this movie it was popular and so you get all of these imitators so it really is sort of this um I mean, I don't, I don't want to say like a groundbreaking film or something like that, but I think it's, it's got um, the staying power that people really tried to imitate and, and work with throughout the 50s. So I think um, if you're a fan of sort of this genre in general, there's a lot in this movie that you see elsewhere if you're, if you're watching more of these kinds of films. Um, yeah, my final thoughts on the movie are that I'm glad that we revisited it for the show because it completely turned my opinion around on the movie. And it is, I think that my, my complaint with the movie is that the cast is way, way too big. Like, yeah, I would have preferred <laughs> the, the, the remakes approach where it's, it's a smaller team and they all have kind of jobs. Um, it would have made the finale a little bit creepier. Cause like in the finale, the, the, the concept that this thing is going to like catch up with them and then murder like what 30 dudes one by one like it's just kind of seems less silly than like a small team that's been pushed into a closet it plus makes- it's a it's a big group to keep shuffling from room to room yeah, and a lot like- of them look awfully similar let's be honest oh, yeah. it's a lot of white it's a lot of white dudes with short haircuts like it's it's wearing like bulky winter wear i i think that the, the movie though that being said does a great job of not just making um all the the soldiers just like friendly buddy buddy guys that uh don't have any personality to them like there are little moments of camaraderie that really sell who these guys are that they care about each other. It kind of reminded me of Sergeant York, which Howard Hawks also worked on. And which gets this... referenced in the movie too. Yeah. Which is funny. Yeah. There's a sort of, there's a sort of like warm camaraderie to the soldiers that I, I think is um, in movies of this era that um, you don't see a lot of now, a lot more, it's a lot more like soldiers in movies are a lot more talking about like um, wanting to fuck each other's moms and stuff. Yeah. Um, which might be more realistic, but there's a specific aspect of sort of World War II era movies that um, they just have a, a sort of energy that you don't get very often ever. And there's sort of a sweetness to the, the main romantic relationship that helps bring me bring me around. And yes, I think the monster is really sweet looking. Yeah, that's a perfect way to wrap it up, that the monster is really sweet looking. Yeah. Uh, do not mean that sarcastically, because yeah, it's, 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 it's extremely effective, and I think it's... The audience in 1951 was right that they chose this over the day the Earth stood still. A movie I really like, but I think this, I think this is better. It's, I think this is more fun. Way to, way to really not draw a party line there, Amanda. <laughs> way to... <laughs> James Arnaz should have been proud. So thank you so much for joining us again, Amanda. This was a lot of fun. Uh, what what do you have to plug? Uh, yeah, so I was on the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme podcast uh, not too long ago where we talked about his episode of Friends. 
So please turn in, tune into uh, Marcus's, or turn into Marcus, whichever one you want to do. Um, <laughs> but tune into Marcus's podcast because that was a lot of fun as well. The um, what's it called? The uh, John pa- John Pod Van Dam. John Pod Van Dam. So thank you so much. Yeah, definitely, and and yeah, check out Crush Celluloid too. That is also a very good podcast. And hey, Swamp Flicks. Oh, these are all great podcasts. If oh. you- <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, try it, you'll like it, who we've had on. If we just need to form one giant commune of podcasts. It's true. Uh, but, uh, we'll, all divvy, we'll all divvy up the money we're not making. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, and we'll divvy up, uh, Zach. Like, yeah. who gets him on the weekends. Uh, we, we get him for his artwork. Like, no one's taking him for that. But guest-wise, we'll share. Sure. We just have to hope no. We just have to hope nobody uh, tries to steal him for the artwork and offers him money for that. Because oh, holy screw don't, then. Yeah, don't even don't even tell him about money. Yeah, no, he doesn't know about money. <laughs> yeah, shh. He's from Oklahoma. We don't know about money. It's all getting deleted. P- yeah, Zach, if you're listening, like it's totally normal to get paid in podcast guest appearances and yeah. our friendship. And chilling. <laughs> Yeah. Um, shh, don't worry. If anyone gives you money, they're just using you. It's <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Amanda. Thank you for having me, guys. This is a blast. Yep. And next week, we will be moving on, continuing take two with uh, The Thing. That <laughs> Did you thing? see that one coming? Uh, yeah, the 1982 Thing. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, um, no. it's kind of a remake of this movie. No. <laughs> that we just that, talked about. How could, how could people of. remake this movie? <laughs> um, well, they did. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but yeah, so this thing, that's that's the first just Peter, Peter and Aaron show uh, uh, in a while. We'll just be the two of us talking at length because it is Peter's favorite movie and is one of my favorite movies. If you don't like people gushing for eight to ten hours, don't tune in. But uh, uh, and then the next two weeks we'll be joined by uh, the next we're doing The Fly, the 1958 version, as mentioned, with Brandon Lede. Uh, of the Swamp Flicks podcast. And then we'll be joined by uh, Sam Scott, a writer at The Salute, uh, for the 1986 version of The Fly. Good old Sam. So the uh, the last episode of this month is going to drop on Halloween. Um, and it is a – we're going to – it's going to be a mega episode. So Aaron and I are going to be talking about anthology horror movies in general. We couldn't really – I was thinking about doing Trick or Treat. I was thinking about doing – you know, um, the VHS movies, whatever. But I decided that it would be uh, more productive, actually, if we sort of smash together our own favorite anthology movie that's just uh, our best ofs of different anthology movies that we've seen over the years. So, and also, um, yeah, starting, I, it hasn't started yet because I'm, I'm saving up my uh, momentum. But starting next week, we're going to be talking about what horror movies we're watching um, as well during the month of October because I'm going to try and do 30, at least 31 uh, this year. Last year I hit 42, but that's really goddamn ambitious. But yeah, I'm going to try and watch 31 horror movies in, in October and we'll uh, keep you guys updated on um, those picks as well. Unless you don't want to be, in which case. <laughs> yeah, which in which case just don't listen to our show anymore. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, no, I'm doing it as well. 31. Um I'm trying to do 31 new horror films that I haven't seen before. I know we'll be doing some other ones for the show, and I'm sure I'll watch them. Uh, I'm sure I'll rewatch some horror movies as well. Last year, I did get 30. I got 32 new ones and a total of 39, which was especially impressive because for 10 days, I was on my honeymoon, and then 
right before that I got married. So I still was able to fit in. I think that's going to be my most impressive accomplishment of my entire life. Probably. <laughs> that's a great October for you. Yeah, it was it was super great that uh, Mexico was it was the rainy season and we were we were stuck in our hotel. And it's like, we're going to do this. And she's like, OK. She's like, where's the tequila? If it makes you, you should be happy on on our honeymoon, I guess. I'm so, I'm sorry that's not enjoying outdoors with me, but I guess we can watch and Wolf Creek. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much again for appearing on the show, Amanda. This was a ton of fun. We'll definitely have you back on. Good night. Have a good night, everyone. Have a good night. Get up off of that thing and dance to you better. Get up off of that thing. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, wltwpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud tune in stitcher and itunes thanks for listening